in 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12, we get to see the Apostle Paul wrestle with and try to navigate his own struggle with the horrible rank. In these chapters, he, he does some boasting, some comparing, some defending himself, and it's, it gets awfully close to being stinky. And then he ends by arriving at some truths that are so powerful, they're so simple and powerful, that if we could live out, live out these truths, they would keep us from the horrible rank altogether. So that's our goal, is we want, to, we want to track his experience, and we want to believe and accept and live out these truths so we don't live our lives comparing ourselves with people. That's a big deal. And I want you to join me in prayer. This time could be God's time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we trust that you are here right now. That you have an appointment with us to speak into our hearts. I'm going to use my words, but I trust your spirit to be the one speaking. That makes me feel very weak. I pray that we would fade and allow your spirit to do a work among us right now. Lord, every single one of us is guilty of trying to be better than or feeling worse than and being so distracted by this. I pray that Paul's experience would pull us out of that. I pray we could live, leave here with hope that there's a better life and um, that we could leave here with freedom in accepting who we are in you. Um, as the most important truth. We give you our minds and our time. Thank you for the word that speaks to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the whole, chat, the whole book of 2 Corinthians, you can see a defensive, even sarcastic tone that Paul writes in. But we'll just focus on chapters 11 and 12 and do a quick overview to pick up on where Paul was and his temptation. It was a temptation for him to engage in what I'm calling the horrible rank. So chapter 11, verse 2. Just skim through it with me. Chapter 11, verse 2, he says, I beg of you that when I am present, no, that's chapter 10. Chapter 11, verse 2, 2 Corinthians, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin in Christ. He feels a divine jealousy, a godly jealousy. So on one hand, Paul has pure motives in what he's doing. He doesn't want these people who he's discipled and brought up in the faith to now turn their attention to a false teacher. That's a pure, that's a godly jealousy. But there's also these false teachers who he refers to as super apostles. And there might be a little kind of other jealousy there too. So this other jealousy James describes in James chapter 3, verse 13. James says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So here is Paul on a, a fine line between godly jealousy and horrible rank. Like, I want you to be pure, and I want you to, 
to not fall into these false teachings, but I also want to establish my rank above these false teachers. So, Paul, we can relate to your temptation. And he continues to share some of the things he's discouraged about in verse 6, chapter 11, verse 6. He mentions his ability to speak. In verse 5, he says he's not inferior to these super apostles. In verse 6, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. I always think, I just imagine, sitting and listening to Apostle Paul, the great evangelist, and I imagine him as a gifted speaker. Don't you imagine him that way? Well, here he confesses that speaking wasn't his strongest point. He wasn't the best public speaker. He admits that. He says, but then there's this little bit of horrible rank in him that he says, even if I wasn't the best speaker, I, I at least was better than them in knowledge. I know more than them. Right. They might be able to speak more eloquently, but I know it all. So Paul is sensitive about his speaking. And if you go back, actually look at chapter 10 this time, verse 10, he picked up on some rumors. So you can feel a little bit of his temptation. He's quoting things he's heard the Corinthians are saying. Chapter 10, verse 10. And what they're saying is, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Apparently, Paul heard someone in Corinth saying that. When he writes letters, boy, they sound real good, but when he gets here, he's just this weak guy and he can't speak very well. So you can feel a bit of Paul's temptation, right? Here's the thing. When someone does the thing we do and does it better, it's really tempting to throw ourselves into the horrible rink. Um, you know, when I hear about an excellent police officer, I don't feel any bit of jealousy because I'm not a police officer. You can get all these awards and there's no comparison to me because I don't do that. But, as terrible as it might seem, if we invited a guest speaker and he did such a great job, you talked about him for the next six months, man, I wish we had more of that. That was so awesome. You know, the godly part of me would say, praise God, someone came and blessed us with the Spirit. And then the, the rank part of me would be saying, I mean, don't you get something from my messages every week? There'd be something in me that says, wait a minute, I do this all the time. And you know how that is. What are, are you a doctor? Are you a mom? Are, are you, whatever you are, you know, as a parent, it kind of feels good, a little bit, to see another parent lose it. Just a little bit. Because you know that you're not the worst. Like, I know I'm bad with my kids sometimes, but they do it too, right? So there's a little piece in us that enjoys seeing someone do the things we do and not do it better than us. But here Paul is confronted with this reality. Someone is doing his, his business. They're speaking as an apostle. He thinks they're false apostles. They're speaking in front of people, and people are appreciating the presentation more than when he does it. There's an invitation for us to dive full faced into the horrible rank. And then it keeps going in verse 7. Paul highlights how much he's given, and he's given a lot. Verse, so chapter 11, verse 7. Or did I 
commit a sin in humbling myself so you might be exalted. There's a bit of sarcasm there. And then, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. Later, he says, um, you know, was my, was my sin that I served you and I robbed from the other churches so that I could serve you free of charge? And he says, I apologize for this. So he's sarcastically saying, look, I gave everything to you and I didn't charge you anything. What's the problem? In fact, if you look at the book of Acts, we find that he lived among them for a year and a half, Acts 18, and he worked as a tent maker to pay his own way. He didn't charge the church, and he labored among them, supporting himself, laboring among them, building up a church, and Corinth is a city known for immorality. He planted a church in this hard place, self-funded. So he put a lot of hard work in. And then here comes along these super apostles. They didn't build the church. They didn't win the confidence and, and love these people into Christ. They just come along and talk real well, and all of a sudden they're the heroes. There's a huge temptation to engage in the horrible rank when we've put in the hard work and someone else gets the credit. Some of you built this church. Some of you put decades of hard work into sowing seed in this community. Some of you have been investing money in that school for, for 20, 30 years. And then this new preacher comes along. Or our new principal comes along. Or somebody else comes along. And we, don't, we haven't put in the hard work. And there's something in us when we put in the hard work. We've been at our company 40 years. And someone else comes along where we want to just remind people, Hey, I did all of this. And Paul feels tempted. You love these guys? Well, remember all the things I've done and then, more than just work, he deserves some credit for that work. And the Corinthians are doing the opposite. They're actually discrediting him. So Paul, Paul feels like, hey, I've done all this stuff. You can at least commend me. Now, verse 11, chapter 12, I know I'm in chapter 11 and 12. Chapter 12, verse 11 is our main verse today. It's the one that uh, was read at the very end. And it says, I've been a fool, but you forced me. You ought to have commended me. You realize how silly that sounds? So he's boasting, and he says, I've been a fool and boasting. He says, I know I'm really silly to boast, but you made me do it. And then he adds, basically, I'll paraphrase, I wouldn't have to boast so much if you'd just give me more compliments. Like, if, if you told me how good I was, I wouldn't have to tell you how good I am. That's basically what he's saying. You forced me to do it because you ought to have commended me. Instead of commending him, they were actually discrediting him. The whole book, Paul is defending himself and giving credit to little things and big things. We see it in chapter 1, that he actually has to defend himself by giving valid reasons for why he changed his travel plans. And he quotes them again. Apparently, they were saying things like, Paul, he's Mr. Yes, yes, and no, no, is what the scriptures say. He caught this rumor that people in Corinth thought that he was unreliable. And he says, hey, I had good reasons. Don't you trust that I'm a responsible person? And then you get to chapter 3, and this is very sensitive in his heart, because he talks about his own credentials to ministry. He says, do I need a letter of recommendation to you? Like, I'm the Apostle Paul, and you, you're questioning my own credentials as a minister. You ought to have commended me. 
And then he actually has to defend at several points in the letter his love for the Corinthians. And he says it kind of sarcastically. Did I do this because I don't love you? No, because I love you. So Paul is needing to give credit to himself because they weren't giving him credit. There's a huge temptation to engage in the horrible rank when we've done something good, and instead of credit, we get criticism. You've been there and I've been there. And instead of saying, well, I did the right thing, I'm grateful to know that God sees I did the right thing, we have to defend ourselves because somebody pointed at how we didn't do it well. Or they're misinterpreting our good work. So Paul's feeling a bit defensive. I still think it's inspired writing. I don't think Paul is teaching something wrong here. He's just being a human. And he's tempted to engage in the horrible rank. And then finally, Paul just throws himself into the boasting. So you read this in chapter 11, verse 18 and on. He says, hey, if they're going to boast, I'm going to do it too. And he says things like, if anyone has reason to boast, I have more. Look at all these things. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as far as legalistic righteousness, I am perfect. I'm faultless. So he gives this impressive list. And all the while he's thinking, this is foolish. He keeps saying it. This is a foolish thing I'm doing. can't believe I'm talking this way. I'm going to give this impressive list. And there's some little bits of pure motive in there. He's saying, if I can remind them that I've done these things too, they won't get carried away with these impressive false teachers who do these impressive things. But then Paul kind of saves himself. He adds this conclusion about, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my weakness. So after all this impressive list, he says, oh, hey, there, there is a, a spiritual truth here. I'm going to boast, and I'm going to boast in my weakness. Phew, that wasn't just a big, ugly demonstration of a horrible rank. We got a spiritual lesson out of this. But don't stop with that. I, we're going to come back to the weakness thought. Wonderful thought, one of the ways we get out of the horrible rank. But don't stop there. He arrives at two truths in verse 11 that I think could keep us from the horrible rank altogether. They're so simple. They're on the screen. They'll be on the screen in a second. So chapter 12, verse 11. Here are the truths that keep us from the horrible rank. Paul was almost there. He was teetering on this line, and I think he arrived in the right place. It says, I have been a fool, but you forced me to do it, for you ought to have committed me. Truth number one, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. True. Even though I am nothing. That's true. So truth number one is, Nobody's better than me. He says, I'm not at all inferior. This is not a statement of arrogance. To say nobody's better than me is not a statement of superiority, but of non-inferiority. You're saying there's nobody that is, is just better than me. Nobody has a higher value than I have. Now, I'm not better than them, but nobody's better than me. It's true. See, this truth fights against feelings of inferiority, and you know that inferiority is a lie. It's a lie. So the truth that we throw at that lie is, nobody's better than me. And then the second truth is, I'm no better than anybody. If you really love 
correct your grammar, get over it because it sounds real good. I'm no better than anybody. Truth number two comes from his, his line here. He says, even though I'm nobody. And this is not a statement of self-depreciation to say, I'm no better than anybody. That's not inferiority. It's non-superiority. You follow me? <laughs> you're not saying I'm superior. You're just saying I'm not inferior. You're not, you're not saying I'm inferior. You're just saying I'm not superior. So nobody is better than me, and I'm no better than anybody. Those are the truths I want to hit our hearts to fight against the horrible rank. Would you say them with me? Say them like you believe them. We're going to look at them from Scripture. If you don't feel comfortable saying it yet, I hope you do at the end of Scripture. So, truth number one, nobody's better than me. Truth number two, I'm no better than anybody. If you enjoyed math in school, uh, you know what an equal sign looks like, right? You know what a greater than sign looks like? To you, it'd be this way. And a less than sign? Between every single human in the world, there is an equal sign. Not a greater than sign, not a less than sign. Superiority and inferiority are lies, and the way we counter them is throwing truth at them. And the truth behind these truths is that every human life has high and equal value in the eyes of God. So I can say nobody's better than me because God created me. He loves me. He died for me. And then I can say, I'm no better than anybody because God created them. He loves them. He died for them. I'm no better than anybody. And nobody's better than me. And this, these truths are what enable us to look at somebody and, and speak against the lie of inferiority. I can look at somebody who's better looking, they got better clothes, they have better stuff, they have a bigger house, a nicer car, and, and more pay, and they're intelligent, and they're fun, and on top of all of that, they have a spiritual life I wish I could have. And I can look at them and admire their gifts and say, nobody's better than me. And then I can look at the person who grosses me out. Shame on me. I can look at the person who's poor, who's not as intelligent, who's less attractive. Maybe they have a physical handicap or a mental handicap, or maybe they're just irritating and mean and rude or criminal. And I can look at them and I can say, I'm no better. I believe those things. Oh, I want to live those things. I want to be free from those feelings when I look at someone and, and I feel this awful, horrible, rank impulse to think I'm above them. I want the Holy Spirit to rest on me and say, you are no better than anybody. And when I feel this, this demonic impression to say, Ryan, you're low, you're little, you're worthless, I can feel the Spirit come on me and say, nobody's better than you, Ryan. Imagine the energy we could free up if we freed every interaction from the horrible rank. 
If we never walked away saying, what did I look like? How did I come across? I wonder what they think of me. And, and just self in comparison was just gone from that. I think that's what Paul's driving at. He's saying, you know, I got a little carried away with this, but the truth is, I'm not inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. Scripture says it like this, Isaiah 43, verse 4, says, you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. And that's just one of thousands of verses, God expressing his value for every human heart. Zechariah 2.8 says, He who touches you touches the apple of his eye. When we think about superiority and inferiority, it's important to understand that those two things are not opposite ends of a spectrum of self-esteem. They're actually expressions of the same problem, which is a deceived self-image. It's not like, oh, I could fix superiority with a little bit of inferiority, or I could fix inferiority with a little bit of superiority. If I could just be better over here, I could make up for my lack there. They're actually the same thing. They are believing lies that people are made with different value in the eyes of God. So there's this psychotherapist named Alfred Alders, and he did work in individual psychology, which was uh, which paved the way, pioneered the work, and was overshadowed by Sigmund Freud. But for Alfred Alders, a whole bunch of significance lied in the feelings of inferiority and superiority. He said that those feelings actually are the, the foundation of all of our motivations. And he argued that they are not opposite personality traits, but they actually coexist within us. Then he said, he defines inferiority complex as a psychological defense mechanism that compensates for did I say inferiority or superiority? Superiority complex is a psychological defense mechanism that compensates for inferiority complex. What he's saying is when we feel a need to say I'm better than, it's really a compensation for our feelings of feeling below and worse than. They're not two different things. They're both a distorted view of our self-image. So how do we fix them? We can't cure one with a dose of the other. We actually destroy both with truth. And the truth is, every human being has high and equal value in the eyes of God. I'm no better than anybody. Nobody's better than me. There's a whole lot of security in that. Think of the security we have in believing who we are in Christ. Like, if I believe it, I can endure humiliation, mistreatment, all kinds of criticism, every form of horrible rank. I can endure that, and I can say, I'm no better than anybody. Nobody's better than me. I can walk away with no need to defend or exalt. That's a beautiful way to live. Like I could go through the horrible rank that someone else throws on me, and I could go through it with grace and say, I'm no better than you. I'm not above. I'm not below. God loves me, and he loves you. And this is not self-deception. Uh, I'm not talking about rank of skill sets. 
You know, I talk about doing away with rank. All you military people wonder what you're going to do. Like, rank establishes where you stand. And it's good to know what I got on the ACT or SAT. It's good when I look at my phone and I can see that this restaurant has 4.5 stars. Those are fine things. I'm not talking about skills or excellent traits. I'm talking about the core of who we are. So if I was to play one-on-one -on -one basketball with Kevin Durant, or if I was to sing a duet with Andrea Bocelli, I should not walk away from that experience with my chest puffed up saying, nobody's better than me. Because I would be annihilated on the basketball court and I would be a fool in the duet. They have superior skill sets than me. That's good. Praise God he made us all different. But I could, I could be crippled and in a wheelchair and have Kevin Durant jump over my wheelchair and dunk the basketball on me. And I could walk away from that saying, and nobody's better than me. He's more skilled, but he's not better than me. And I'm no better than anybody. So it's great when you find someone who's better with computers or better with language or better with construction. Praise God for individuality, but their skill set is not what defines them. We make that mistake. We establish value on what we think we can do rather than on what God says we are. Here's a song. I don't know it on the radio, but it, I know the line that says, I am who you say I am. You ever hear that song? I am who you say I am. And um, just yesterday, I was driving in downtown Anchorage and I had my kids with me. And my, my six-year-old says, Dad, you're going the wrong way. That's not the way home. And she's never been on this street in her life. Downtown Anchorage. And I know I'm going the right way. I just checked the map. I know I'm going the right way. Dad, you're going the wrong way. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you arguing with me? It's the way I say it is. And then there'll be like something, that, that's not what that is. That's this. It, no, it, trust me, I know it's the way I say it is. And in a way more perfect way, God looks at our confident opinions and he says, uh, you're wrong. I'm right. Why can't we just withhold our judgment and know that we are who he says we are? And know that he's right. He's not wrong, even if we see a flaw. We are who he says we are. So this is true. These are, these are true. Even if they feel uncomfortable at first, nobody's better than me. I'm not saying I'm better than them. Just nobody's better than me. And I'm no better than anybody. They're not just true. They're good. Living that way not only helps us get rid of the negatives of the horrible rank, it actually introduces positive things into our life. And that's the question we have for the trail this week is, imagine what could life be like without the horrible rank? So there's a thousand positive answers. I'll just highlight a few that I see in the text. If we were to live this way, where we stripped ourselves of all rank, I don't need to be above or below, it would deepen our experience of grace. And I get that when I look at verse 9 and 10. Chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. It says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then. I'll read that one next. My grace is sufficient for you. 
when we believe nobody's better than me and I'm no better than anybody, then I can mess up in a horrible way and inferiority can be erased because God gives grace. I can know that I am not good. <laughs> I've done some bad stuff, but God's a God of grace and his grace is sufficient for me and that's why it's true that I can say nobody's better than me. And then I can look at that person who has offended us and hurt us and who we feel is below us. And we can know that the God of grace extends grace to them too. And so my experience of grace can look at someone who, who really needs grace and we can know that I'm no better than anybody because God might just pour out grace on their life and they could be a new person. So believing these truths deepens our experience of grace towards us and it challenges us with grace towards others. That grace that's sufficient for you and your weakness is sufficient for them and their weakness. So as a repulsive as it might appear what they're doing, God's ready to give them grace. So you're no better than them. It deepens our experience of God's love. There are people in your life, somebody in your life, who thinks you're awesome. If you're feeling inferior, maybe you have a mom who thinks you're amazing. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have a dog who thinks you're the best. Here's what I'm thinking. God has called us to live. Not just does he love us. He loves us. That establishes our value. He's empowered us with a spirit to love others. And sometimes I think he communicates the truth that nobody's better than you through your dog or through your mom. So if God has put a cheerleader in your life, hear that as the voice of God reminding you of the truth that nobody's better than you. And then he's called us to extend that love to others. It's really hard to love others when we're so focused on outranking them. Paul expresses other-centered love to them. So we're still in chapter 12. Just look at verse 14 and 15. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden to you, for I seek not what is yours, but you. Imagine if you interacted that way with everybody. I'm not seeking what is yours. I'm seeking you. I don't need your money or your approval or your affirmation or, or whatever it is that you might give me. I'm actually seeking you. I desire you. And specifically, he desired that their soul would be saved. We interact so often as the takers instead of the givers. And Paul is saying, I don't need your stuff. I want you. I'm not ranking against you. I'm seeking to love you. And then in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Then in chapter 13, if you just skip over a chapter, verse 9, he says, for we are glad when we are called weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Isn't that a beautiful way to live? Like, if I believe this, that nobody's better than me and I'm no better than anybody, I could live myself for you, for your restoration. I wouldn't be so focused on lifting self higher, but on lifting you up, promoting others. That's a whole lot different than the horrible rank. Then living this way, would deepen our experience of Jesus. He says in verse 10, chapter 12, verse 10, For the sake 
of Christ then. I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. All this weakness talk, all this boasting, is all for the sake of Christ. Here's, here's how the attention works. We only have so much of it. If I give 90% of it to me and 10% of it to you, 0% goes to Jesus. If I'm engaged in the horrible rank, I have no attention left for Jesus. But if I disengage from the horrible rank, I can actually give all my attention to Jesus and experience more of him. Doesn't that sound better? So when I am willing to not be better than, I can actually experience more of Jesus. Did you catch that? And we know that's true because Paul, even though he got defensive about his speaking, if we just go back to chapter 2, no, the first letter he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he talks about his speaking, and he says it's not great. And he says, I'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. And when I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. But that's okay because, he says, but they were in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. What he's saying is, by me being willing to be lower and accept that my words weren't perfect, you and I both experienced more of the Holy Spirit. Just get that. By me giving up the rank, we actually experience more of the power of God because I'm not on the pedestal. Jesus is. So if I choose to stop ranking, everyone experiences more Jesus. And then this horrible rank, um, these truths that defeat the horrible rank, if we live them, if I believe that nobody's better than me and I'm no better than anybody, um, we would experience a reverse of the concepts of weakness and greatness. Because that's what Paul just did. He said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that's what Jesus did. He says, he who's greatest must be the servant. They flip them upside down, right? So instead of striving to be great, you know what we ought to do? If there's an area in your life where you're great, if you're great at something, instead of feeling pride, you ought to pray for yourself. And if there's somebody else who's great at something, instead of feeling jealousy, you ought to pray for them. Because the higher the rank, the greater the risk. Rather than feeling competition, we should recognize there's a gift there. I'm going to pray for that person that that gift can be pure and all about Jesus because there's a huge risk that that gift will plunge them into the horrible rank. And the same thing if you're feeling inferior. If there's a way, a part of your life that's specifically low, pray for that. And if someone else is specifically low, pray for them because we don't want the devil to use the lie of inferiority to tell us we're nothing. That's a whole lot different than trampling on their weakness and coveting their strength. It reverses the experience of weakness and of greatness. There was something I heard in Sabbath school. You should go to Sabbath school. It's a good experience. So I sat in Sabbath school last week, and we were talking about resting in Jesus. And one of the comments that was made just opened my eyes to how God changes us. And it was about Paul, the same man. And you know, in, in chapter 12 here, he says... Um, if anyone has reason to boast, I have more. I'm the best. Later on, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Like, these truths got a hold of his heart, 
and he was okay to have super apostles and say, I'm the least of the apostles. And then later on, he said, I'm lower than the least of the saints. And then later on, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. And all that while he was not spiraling into depression, he was getting closer to the heart of God. And closer to the heart of God, he said, I don't need any rank. I could be the chief of sinners, and I could pour myself into others and give all the attention to Jesus, and my life is free of the horrible rank. There's a verse that describes a whole different smell. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. You know, if we would disengage from the horrible rank, like put that on the altar today while we sing this closing song, if we could disengage, life actually starts to smell pretty good with Jesus. Pretty good with truth in our life, that nobody's better than us, and we're no better than anybody. And that smell is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Everywhere we go, uh, we, we spread a fragrance. And if I'm going to compare myself with you, it's going to be a horrible rank. But if I'm going to let Jesus be the hero, it's going to be a sweet fragrance that calls people into that wonderful life with Christ so, disengage from the horrible rank. Nobody is better than you. And you're no better than anybody. Let's sing this closing song. Just as I am without one plea, let's make a, a commitment to Jesus that he can take us just as we are. The rank we're at is just fine with us because he's the hero. Let's surrender to him just as I am. <laughs>